Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabrow. Kevin, what's going on, man? I'm chilling, man. We had an eventful weekend in sports, as we do around this time of year. Just to give you guys a quick rundown, today, Kyle and I are going to go over some NBA content. Uh, The NBA playoffs are obviously continuously ongoing. They're incredible. They have not disappointed. The 76ers and the Atlanta Hawks series just went final. Atlanta ties the series at 2-2 with a nail-biter, 103-100 to victory over the Sixers in Atlanta. And then we're going to go over the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks series. Kyrie Irving goes down, and James Harden's status for Game 5 is still up in the air. We are then going to quickly go over the Phoenix Suns sweeping the MVP and Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets in four straight games. We are then going to touch quickly on the Clippers bounce back in their series going down 2-0 and then, or excuse me, they're going down 0-2 and then absolutely destroying the Utah Jazz in LA in their game three matchup. So we're going to talk about that. Then Kyle and I will make a quick prediction on the Bucks and the Nets game five tomorrow for tomorrow night. And then we're going to quickly talk about a little bit of the uh, the Yankees' absolute demise as of the last couple of weeks. We've kind of looked very abysmal from the pitching standpoint. Offensively, we've actually been putting up some runs. But um, pitching's finally choking. Pitching's finally tired. We're, we're, we're not looking good on all aspects. There have been rumors that we're going to blow it up. There's rumors that we're going to make trades uh, before the deadline and kind of get rid of some star assets to kind of make way for maybe some free agents this summer, whatever have you. But all Yankees rumors will be covered uh, quickly. Uh, I know for a fact Kyle has to talk about the UFC uh, matchups that were over the weekend. I heard nothing but great things about them. I know that Nate Diaz was bloodied up as per usual, like he is every fight. And he almost made it a good one towards the end. But at the end of the day, he did catch the L, unfortunately. And then I wanted to take a quick second to talk about the esports motion that's kind of thriving around the world right now. Uh, For those of you that are unaware, the noted and famous FaZe Clan, one of the more known uh, gaming institutions, gaming groups uh, that's quickly taking over between uh, Nick Merckx, Swag, and a bunch of other people. Uh, Kyler Murray, LeBron James' son, Bronny, is also a part of it. Uh, it's kind of taken the world with Storm over the last couple of years. And, you know, they're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That is no easy feat. So I did want to give them a quick shout out, you know, Video games have always been kind of made fun of for us growing up. It's always been people that have chosen to stay inside and, 
you know, those odd people that just decided to play video games over a course of time rather than go out and go play sports. But now they're actually getting the shine that they rightfully deserve and they're playing competitive. So I just want to talk about that a little bit later. But with that being said, let's just dive right into the episode. The Philadelphia 76ers just are coming off of a fresh loss against the Atlanta Hawks, like I said, 103 to 100 behind the poor performance of both teams. Honestly, the shooting efficiencies of both teams were subpar, to say the least. Um, I'm not going to get too into it, Kyle. I'm just going to kind of bounce it over to you. Uh, With this series going back to Philadelphia tied at two apiece, what do you think is going to happen for Philadelphia to try to maybe take control over this series? Because it has literally gone back and forth relatively every game. I didn't think that they necessarily had the best night shooting, and they only lost this game by three points on the road. So, you know, with the series going back to Philly for game five, I would imagine that Joel Embiid is going to have a better shooting performance than he did in game four. Four of 20 in a road game that could potentially put you up 3-1 in the series and essentially ice it. Yeah, 4 of 20 is not going to cut it. Granted, he did score 17 points, so he knocked down all eight of his free throws. And he had 21 rebounds, which is sensational. It's just 4 of 20 from the field. That's not going to cut it. But I do expect them to have a bounce-back game in Game 5 when it's back in Philly. I thought the starters overall for Philly, I thought they played, played pretty well. Ben was 5 of 10 from the field. He had 11 points. Also had 12 rebounds. Tobias Harris shot over 50% from the field. He had 20 points. And even Seth Curry, he had 17 on 7-11 shooting. So all in all, the, the starters did play pretty well. They got decent bench production. I know Shake Milton definitely got a little bit of a hot start in this series with his amazing shooting performance. I think it was in game one where he just it looked like he could not miss behind the three-point line, but he had a kind of a down-to-earth game. He had eight points on two of seven shooting. Uh, Thibel, he also had he had five points on two of seven shooting. So when, when I look across the bench, the bench could have a little bit of a better shooting performance than it did. But if I'm Philly, I take this loss in stride, learn from some of the mistakes that they made, and just try to find some better shots in game five. And I think they'll win game five back in Philly and then go up 3-2 for game six when it transitions back to Atlanta. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, the fact that this game was as close as it was and and the best player on the court visibly being Joel Embiid having the off night or probably the worst night he's had in the postseason. um, I would say Philly should not panic. Philly needs to kind of keep it level-headed. Ben Simmons needs to continue to be aggressive. He was one assist shy of a triple-double. And the supporting cast, like Kyle said, definitely needs to kind of step it up. In the case that Joel does have another off night, they're going to need a lot more support from their supporting cast. But uh, Atlanta, man, if I'm being honest, Atlanta scraped away with a win tonight. Because, guys, the percentages behind Atlanta's victory was – underwhelming to say the least from the field as a team they were 36 percent from the three-point line they were 30 percent and from their two best shooters they were a combined seven of 27 of 24 from the three-point line that is absolutely embarrassing overall from shooting perspective they were nine of 24 from bogdanovich and then trey young was eight of 26 trey had 25 bogdanovich had 22 Trey Young also did contribute to 18 assists, so he did make up for it in his distribution to the team. 
But if you're going to put up that amount of shots, if you're going to put up a volume of shots of that magnitude, you're going to need to make a lot more of those shots in order to make this game a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Convincing. This would definitely have been relatively close to a blowout if these guys definitely make sure that if they make their shots, at least in my opinion. It seems like all in all, both teams just could not get into a rhythm shooting the entire night. So when you have Trey Young and Bogdanovich go for 17 of 50, that's in the 30 percents. Like that's, it's enough to get by to get a game four. So, I mean, it was good enough. It's just, you can't rely on that moving forward. If you're going back to Philly for game five, you're going to definitely have to improve those shooting numbers, not just on Atlanta though, but Philly has to as well. So I think this is one of those games where both teams just really can't establish a rhythm shooting. But if you just are able to knock down some late game jumpers to kind of separate the league, because it was kind of back and forth going into the fourth quarter. And I will say that Atlanta did play better defense in the second half because they limited to, they limited the 76ers to score, I believe, under like 40, 45 points in the second half overall. So you got to give Atlanta a lot of credit there. But I think both teams are probably going to look at themselves in the mirror. They're going to look over the tape and say, yeah, just didn't knock down the shots and just got to improve our shooting opportunities as best as yeah, they can they going into game They five. definitely have to do better, without a doubt. Um, we're going to then move on to our games from yesterday, which was the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee was disappointing to say the least within the first two games, even with the absence of James Harden early in game one, they definitely sold to a certain extent and they did not play to the magnitude in which we were expecting against a a high caliber running offense. That is the Brooklyn Nets. And they went down Oh two. Now after their stint in Milwaukee back home, they have tied this series at two apiece, but at the expense of Kyrie Irving leaving game four with a, an apparent severe ankle injury. X-rays did come back negative, but it for sure is a good enough sprain to possibly keep him out for game five. With James Harden's status of game five up in the air, Kyle, my question to you is, does Brooklyn have enough to keep this hot Milwaukee team at bay? It's going to be tough. I think they can match up okay against Brooklyn and not against Brooklyn against Milwaukee but the pressure is going to be on Kevin Durant's shoulders to carry them for that game five victory I think the major the major thing moving forward with the Nets with Kyrie's and James's health availability questioned at this point is limit the turnovers so if you're able to limit your turnovers against a very good defensive team in Milwaukee that at least gives you a good shot to be competitive against them. However, if they turn the ball over, if they're just lazy with their passes or they just make some bad decisions uh, passing the ball, it leads to some easy fast break points for Milwaukee. And Milwaukee can get on a run despite that game five being back in Brooklyn. Milwaukee could get on a run. And I don't know if necessarily Brooklyn has the firepower to match Milwaukee if James Harden and Kyrie Irving are out of the lineup and it's really only on Kevin Durant's shoulders. And then you got some role players and like Joe Harris and maybe Jeff Green and Blake Griffin, they can step up. But the way that Milwaukee's been playing the last two games, they've stepped it up and 
Brooklyn's in a little bit of a precarious situation here just because there's so many question marks surrounding their two-star players and Kyrie and James. It's a lot of unknowns right now, but you know, if I look at it right now, Milwaukee probably has the advantage simply just because we don't know whether or not that James and Kyrie are going to be available for game five. And that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, just to keep this short um, without James and without Kyrie, it does seem bleak for the Brooklyn Nets. If I'm being completely honest with you, this roster constructed without the three headed monster that is Kyrie KD and uh, KD or Harden, excuse me, is subpar. I mean, we're just looking at the starting lineup without the other two superstars. We have Blake Griffin, who's okay. He's not enough to assist and carry a team like he was in L.A. We have Joe Harris, like Kyle said, a solid role player, a three-point specialist. Again, not enough to go and carry. Bruce Brown, an efficient player, a average role player at best. Again, everybody has good games. Everybody has bad games, but I wouldn't consider him to be a threat either. And then you continue to carry on this bench, and it just it, – it, it's – not good enough to, to, to assist with the, the firepower that is Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris Middleton. If those three on Milwaukee have a good enough game in game five in Brooklyn, I do think that Milwaukee takes a commanding lead, 3-2 headed back home. Um, obviously, with the statuses of James and Kyrie being up in the air for the remainder of the season is going to be imperative for us to know or maybe even predict what could occur in game six. But I say that if I'm being honest, these injuries hinder Brooklyn's chances at going not only to the finals, or should I say not only to the Eastern Conference finals, but to the finals completely. These injuries are massive. KD was 9 of 25 from the field, 1 of 8 from the three-point line overall as a whole. And the second leading scorer was Kyrie Irving, who left in the second quarter mm-hmm. with 11. No one else scored double digits on this entire Brooklyn Nets roster. That is absolutely unacceptable. And if Kevin Durant's going to have any chance at maybe making the series competitive until his running mates are able to come back, everyone on this roster, no one is safe. Everyone is going to need to step up significantly better than what it is they performed in game four. P.J. Tucker has been in Kevin Durant's face the last two games. I believe last game when he was guarded by P.J. Tucker, do not quote me, I believe I, I could have read this wrong. But when guarded by P.J., Kevin Durant was four of 12 from the field. PJ has gotten into his head since game three and that scuffle. And I think that Milwaukee has a great opportunity here to take advantage of, of the injuries that, that Brooklyn, unfortunately, has been uh, been cursed with. I really think that game three win from Milwaukee really changed the dynamic of this series because that was one of probably the ugliest shooting performances that I've seen in a playoff game in my lifetime. Both teams could not hit a shot to save their life. I think Milwaukee shot 19% behind the three-point line that game, and they still won. So, so that 86-83? Yeah, 86-83. Giannis and Chris Middleton were the major standouts. I think they had 68 of Combined. Milwaukee's uh, 86. I think it's like the highest percentage that a duo has ever had in an NBA playoff game as far as like the percentage of offensive output goes. And then Milwaukee followed it up with a game four, and Giannis arguably had his best game of the series going 34, 12, and 3. And Chris Middleton was efficient. He had 19. But just all in all, Drew Holiday had a good day Had a good day in game four. P.J. Tucker scored 13 points as well. So if you're just looking at it from a momentum perspective, it's definitely on Milwaukee's side right now, now that it's back 2-2. And with all those injury questions surrounding the Nets right now, Milwaukee may have the edge here. 
for game five. Absolutely. I mean, we're on the topic of it, so we might as well just go into the prediction. If you had to make a prediction on game five, you're putting your money on it. You have to you have to put your paycheck on it. The death beams are on you on earth. Who are you picking for game five and why? I'm gonna pick the Bucks here. Just because I can't rely on James Harden's and Kyrie Irving's injury concerns. Granted, they might play. I'm not 100% sure that they are. But even if they do, they're going to be limited. And I just look at the matchups across the board that Milwaukee has against the Nets right now. And I think they can't stop Giannis. The Nets have been unable to stop Giannis the last couple games. Even in game three, which was one of the, the worst games I've seen in playoff in my lifetime. Giannis still dominated that game offensively for the Bucs. He did the same thing in game four. And it's led me to believe that I'm not going to expect anything different for game five. I think Chris Middleton has definitely stepped up since his game one and game two shooting performance woes. So I wouldn't be surprised if he has an efficient game, maybe somewhere around like 20, 25 points, maybe shoots around 50% from the field. And I just think overall, I think Milwaukee's defense is going to step up and slow down Brooklyn's offense here. If Kevin Durant is the only one that they really have to focus on because Kyrie and James are either not playing or are limited in the roles that they will be in for game five, it makes Milwaukee's defense performance a lot easier to, I guess what I would say, it would just make it easier for them to win the game simply because if you only have to focus on KD for the most part, it's going to leave shots open for Joe Harris. It's going to leave shots open for maybe Blake and then maybe Jeff Green. But I can't really trust those guys because they've been thrown into a situation where now they have to step up when the entire season that necessarily hasn't been the case. So all in all, I think the, the Bucks win a close one just because I think Katie's going to keep that game close for the Nets. But I think Milwaukee pulls away with it at the end. I think it's like probably like a five or six point game, but I think Milwaukee wins a game five and they go back to Milwaukee up three, two. So I'm making a bold prediction here. I'm going to say Brooklyn wins this game, right? My gut says that Milwaukee's going to win this game, but I got faith in the sniper, man. I got faith in KD, bro. KD with his back against the wall. I think he's going to be able to say, yo, I came to Brooklyn for a reason with or without Kyrie. He's home. He's got the full support of the home crowd behind him. He had a poor performance the night before. We all know when KD gets hot, he gets it going. I think he gets it going early. And I think that, again, I agree with Kyle in the sense of it's going to be a close one. But I do think that the role players find a way to step up. If KD gets it going early, I feel like other players are going to be able to step up. Jeff Green and other role players as well. I think that this is a close one, maybe like 110, 107, something of that magnitude. But – I would not be surprised if Milwaukee takes a dominating game just because if KD is, has an opposite effect, if KD has a, one of those cold nights like he did in game four, and it's solely reliant upon the role players to make the majority of those points, I don't think Brooklyn's going to find a way to, to squeak it. And Kyle is right. Giannis has been relatively unstoppable. The only thing that's been able to stop Giannis is the time constraint on free throws. He has two free throw violations within the last two games. <laughs> it's absolutely hysterical when you can see the referee mouth to him. Um, make sure you shoot it on time. Like, he takes the longest free throws I've ever seen next to Tim Duncan, who used to kind of just sit and stare at the basket for about five seconds and just throw it up. Um, 
But I do stand by my prediction. I think that Brooklyn squeaks away with a good one behind Katie's 40 to 45 points. You said 40 to 45. Whoa. He is going to have to put out. Whoa. Bro, he had 20. He had 28 and they lost by 11. He's going to have to put up 40. I mean, he took 25 shots last game. He's going to have to put up 40, dude. 40 shots? No, 40 points. Oh, 40, five, points. 40 shots. Bro, if you put up 40 shots, you better be you better be around yeah, fucking Kobe status, bro. Like, 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 like an 80-point game. <laughs> I, think, I think he he went like 28 of 46 from the field when he dropped that 81-point bomb. Absolutely ridiculous. It's one of the greatest games I, I've ever seen in my I life. Think he, I think he made like 20 free throws on top of it, too. I'm so happy we got to witness that growing up. I know. And Jalen Rose can never live that down either. I'll take 81 olives. <laughs> Love that commercial. Yeah. He's like, nah. But <laughs> moving on into the next NBA playoff performance, that is the Phoenix Suns surgeons, dominance, ass whoopings of the Denver Nuggets. The def- I, Wow. The MVP of this league, Nikola Jokic, was absolutely a an, an irrelevant topic. He was kind of the only person showing up in this series. I mean, his numbers in the series were absolutely insane, excluding his ejection from game four. But, dude, Nikola was basically on an island by himself this whole series, and the Suns took over and were found a way to dominate. The Chris Paul effect is true, and the Chris Paul effect is absolutely accurate. Dude, he had 37 points. That's the most he scored in a postseason in almost a decade. That's kind of insane to to know that he's putting up points like he was in his 20s. So I guess I'm just going to propose the question. Dude, how far can this damn team go? You sweep the Nuggets, the three seed in the Western Conference, with the MVP at their side? Do, do, Do the Suns really have a shot at winning an NBA championship? Brooklyn's injuries aside, even if they were fully healthy, this team is no joke. Yeah, to answer your question, yes, this team has everything that you need to be an NBA champion as far as I'm concerned. This team, from top to bottom, is one of the most well-rounded teams that the NBA has to offer across the league. Just because you have such a great blend of youth and veteran leadership on this team. You've got the homegrown talent in Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton, they all played fantastic in game four to ice the series for Phoenix. And then you got Chris Paul, who's 36 years old, 37 years old, correct? Mm-hmm. Dropped 37 points, was 14 and 19 from the field, and was an absolute magician. His handles are insane. The, the fact that he is able to create space so effortlessly, and despite being an older player in the league still, it's incredible. And it is, it's true to say that wherever Chris Paul goes, it just seems to, it seems to be that success just follows wherever he goes because last year he was on the Thunder and he was able to get that team all the way to the fifth seed when that team wasn't even really expected to make the playoffs it almost upset the Houston Rockets in the first round of the playoffs in the bubble last year. And then going into this year, he's had a phenomenal year, even more being probably playing more of like a lighter role, allowing Devin Booker and what's his name? DeAndre Ayton 
to kind of have their shine. But when Chris Paul came into the playoffs this year, he's been money. Even with the shoulder injury that he's had, it did limit him in, in the Lakers series a little bit. But in this Nuggets series, he's been on fire. And then in that closeout game in game four, that's one of the best performances that I've seen in the playoffs all year. And I'll tell you what, I know that the Utah series and the Clippers series is still going on, but I imagine both of these teams are looking at Phoenix right now. It's like, we don't want to mess with them because this team is clicking and they're firing at all cylinders. I'll just say it. Good luck to any team that's going up against Phoenix anytime soon, whether it's in the Western conference finals. And if they're fortunate enough, potentially in the finals, because this team has all the ingredients to be an NBA champion this year. Yeah, and I think I think bringing a championship to the Valley would be kind of dope. I mean, I know a lot of people have been saying that they, they, they want Chris Paul to kind of walk away of the ring. If anything, this shows Chris Paul's nowhere near being done. 37 at the age 37 in the playoffs in what his, like, what is it? His 16th or 17th season because he got drafted the year after Braun. Mm-hmm. Dude it's insane. The, the the level of efficiency, I believe there was a stat about a game or two ago where he had, I think 33 assists as opposed to his two turnovers in the series at the time, which is just crazy for a man who did suffer a significant shoulder injury that was limiting him in the series before to go and dominate within the next one against this year's MVP. And I know I said, it looked like Jokic was doing it alone, but this game was a seven-point game, and Denver's starting lineup was able to at least put up a decent amount of points to try to combat the firepower that was Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Dude, Michael Porter Jr. had 20 points. Will Barton came back, had 25 points. Uh, Monte Morris had 19 points. Uh, Campazzo had 14 off the bench. But again, I circled to the same point. The Orlando Magic traded Aaron Gordon to the Denver Nuggets And the Nuggets acquired him for the sense of they needed someone to run alongside Michael Porter and Jokic. And Aaron Gordon was absolutely subpar for the relative portion of the later half of the season. Aaron Gordon's most points, I think I saw this postseason, was up 15. That's that's not enough. Like for the star that you are, for the for the for the for the acquisition price that you required or that Orlando was initially asking for, first round picks. And they got you for whatever it is that they did. I believe it was two second rounders. And all you could put out in a game four elimination game was eight and six. Abysmal. I think this hinders his his value big time. I don't even know if he's on this roster next season. Dude, he was just, I know I've circled on it in multiple episodes, but when you really look at this roster and you see everybody else that's putting out good numbers and then you look at Aaron, you're just like left kind of beside yourself and confused. And I think Nikola Jokic, you know, had that rough situation in the third quarter with that hard foul against Cameron Payne. I don't agree with the ref's decision to go and eject them in an elimination game for game in the NBA playoffs. Agreed that it was definitely a rough foul that caught Cameron across the face. But you can see it was more of a frustration foul going for the ball and Cameron's face happened to lean into it just a little bit. No blame or fault to Cameron. He was kind of just probably trying to cover up and, you know, hold the blow. But uh, Jokic did pat him on the butt, you know, kind of a slap on the ass saying, you know, good game. I'm sorry. You know, there was no bad blood, but when that initial confrontation kind of showed between him and Devin Booker and by him, I'm referencing Nicola, you did see that tension kind of fly. And we did see a lot of tweets today that did kind of mock that situation where people were kind of quoting and saying, you know, Nicola had experienced 
bombings and stabbings and all of these things in Serbia as opposed to Devin Booker's life in, in Michigan. Okay, if we're being honest, I think I think Nikola kind of puts him in a body bag real quick because we all have no idea what the hell Nikola has seen in his life. No disrespect to Devin's thug life or, or, or credit to his reputation, but bro, De- this Devin. man Nikola looked like he was ready to gut him and then feed him to the fishes, man. I don't think he would have stood a chance. De- Devin could talk smack. He's not like that, though. He he's won't bother like that. Actually. He, he's Trust me, there, there's there's very few players that could really say that they're about that life. And Devin Booker, yeah. listen, Book is a hell of a player, though. Wouldn't necessarily be, like, the the toughest guy to, like, just talk smack about. Like, dude, you are not about that life. Like, I'm not going to put it because out. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I know you're not. It's just Book could talk, talk smack all he wants if it's just, like, about basketball or – Certain things that you can't certain, guard me or something like that. Yeah, like, certain yeah. just certain things you talk trash on the court. That's fine, <laughs> but trust me, Nikola. Looking at him, like bro, like Nikola has like an eight inch eight inch advantage on him. Like, what's he gonna do? Yeah, I like, mean, it's just listen. I'm not trying to discredit Devin. You know, he could he, be about that life with them hands. We don't know, but the the best thing I can say about Dev is he he dropped 34 in game four. Now that that I can't hate. He did he, his talking. He played, he played extremely well in that game. Yes. He closed it out and did what he needed to do. But the Phoenix Suns do advance to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, kudos to them. That was an absolute incredible series on their part to just kind of dominate on every aspect of the game. I, I will say this. Dev does pull up to the games in some pretty cool whips. I will give him that. He pulls up in those Grand Nationals. And I remember somebody on Twitter said, oh, it was over before we even knew it. I'm waiting for one of these games for him to show up in a hearse. Like, I was just about to say the same here. thing, bro. When it's a closeout game, bro, I need him to show up in like, like what the Undertaker used to wear when he would show up to his WWE fights. I, bro, I need the bells. I want like that. I need death with a scythe. Him just strolling into game four, five, six, whatever it is for an elimination game, and say, "Yeah, it's that time." Like that's what he can do. But him going up against Nikola Jokic, no. Nikola Jokic would rip that man apart in a fight. You're looking at the Clippers game, aren't you? It's 33 to 13. It's an ass whooping. I saw it earlier. It was like 20 to 8. No, bro. They ended the first quarter at 30 to 13. Yeah, I saw it. It was an ass whooping. It's bad. Oh, man. Bro, ever since that meme came out where it said, don't count Kawhi out when he's 0-2. The last three times he was 0-2, he won both series. Hey, and they were down. Hey, you know, and they they made a good comeback being down 3-2 against Dallas. I know you know that all too well. I get into that. It's kind of a perfect transition into our next topic, which is obviously the review of game three back in LA of the Clippers versus the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz currently lead the series two to one. Obviously, by the end of tonight, who knows what's going to happen if it continues this way. It's about to be tied to two going back to Utah. I, but, I, I would say that it's probably going to go back to two just because the Clippers are off the way to the hot start. Yeah. yeah the Clippers are really 19 points. Them. Yeah. So, um, the Clippers won this game 132 to 106. Again, Kyle and I are a little behind. This game did take place, I believe, Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah. So we're a little behind the curve, but you know, as per usual, you know, if we can't get it to you guys by Sunday, we try to get it to you guys at least by Monday morning. Uh, so I'm just kind of looking over at this box score. I unfortunately was unable to watch this game. And the first thing that circles into my mind is Donovan Mitchell once again drops another 30-point outing, and he does everything that he needs to do. Wasn't the most efficient night scoring, but it wasn't horrible. He was 11 of 24 from the field, 5 of 9 from the three-point line. Joe Ingles contributed with 19 points. Rudy Gobert did his thing, obviously, scoring 12 points with 10 rebounds. Um, Royce O'Neal had 12, and then Jordan Clarkson off the bench was 5 of 16. He did not have the most efficient night, but he did find a way to put out 14 points. Now then you go and look at the Clippers. Um the people that need to step up, step up, man. Paul George, that playoff P kind of joke, that by pandemic P joke kind of went out the window once again. He was 6 of 10 from the three-point line, 12 of 24 from the field with 31 points. Reggie Jackson put out 17. Bro, he, I watched that game. Paul George was cooking that whole game, especially behind the three-point line. He had he had confidence the entire night. It didn't matter who was matched up against him for the Jazz. Like, he was on one. I know Kawhi had 34. I mean, the, the, dude, Paul the was two really of the them. Spark. Paul was the spark for that game. There's no doubt. Bro, the, the two of them were 16 of 48 from the field. Excuse me. 26. 26. 26 of 48 from the field. Yeah. Kawhi had 34, 12 points, five assists, two steals, and a block shot. And then Nicholas Batum had his playoff high of the year with 17 points. And then, you know, the bench was kind of putting out numbers here and there sparingly. Pat Bev had seven. I don't even know how. Terrence Mann had seven. Uh, Luke Kennard had six. And then Yogi Ferrell, former Maverick, he had two points. I believe that was his first action of this postseason. So, I mean, I'm just looking at this saying, what the hell happened to Utah? But then again, the rebuttal to that is, what the hell happened to Utah for them not to be able to stop Los Angeles? Paul George was on an absolute tear, like you said, and Kawhi dropped 34. So, I mean – when those two score 30 plus points, it is really, really hard to stop them as a unit. Um, you kind of have to pick your poison defensively. Do you collapse and you double Paul? Do you rush and you, you, you know, you double Kawhi? Uh, when the role players are hitting shots like they were with Reggie and Batum, uh, Morris did only have six points, but he only took five shots. So overall, this roster kind of found a way to dominate back home in Los Angeles and uh, at least make this a competitive series. But based well, off tonight, it, it 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 don't look like it's gonna be no competitive series. The, God, the, it is gonna be a competitive series. It's gonna be two two when I, it's all said and done. I meant I meant like tonight in general. Like, oh, tonight, it looks yeah. Like Utah cannot keep up. It, Utah's getting waxed right now. They're probably gonna lose this one by twenty points. To be one hundred percent honest with you, and they lost game three by twenty six. So, bro, Kawhi and Marcus have freaking twenty three together. Kawhi and Marcus, but. Utah made adjustments. I mean, not Utah. L.A. made adjustments. When L.A. started to double or trap Donovan in certain defensive packages, and he, with that, they're forcing other guys on Utah to beat them. Because, I mean, if you look down the rest of the roster, I mean, Jordan Clarkson is a sixth man of the year. He, he just shoots a bevy number of shots off the bench for Utah. They basically just give him the green light to go shoot it. Yeah, he's a value shooter straight up, yeah. You know, 14 points off the bench is decent, but on 5 of 16 shots, and some of the shots that he were taking, I thought they were a little bit forced. I think if he just thinks that he gets a little bit of space, he's just going to chuck it up and see what happens. And don't get me wrong, he's a pretty good three-point shooter, so it's not necessarily a bad thing for him to shoot a three if he gets a, a little bit of space. 
and the shots there, I say go for it. But you know, that could lead to some quick possessions if he does not able to knock them down. And it gives LA a little bit of momentum on the other side. It's like, well, we only had to play defense for like eight seconds, not even eight seconds because Jordan put up a quick shot. But I mean, all in all, I, I thought Bogdanovich really kind of let them down in game three. Uh, two of 10 shooting is not going to get it done. One of five behind the three-point line. It's not going to get it done. And apparently it's not going to get it done for game four either. So look, LA made the good, some decent adjustments. Adjustments in these two home games. I'm assuming that LA is going to win game four, but when this series goes back to Utah, I think Utah is going to have to make the adjustment to either do two, to do two things. They got to get Donovan in situations where he's matched up one-on-one or they got to set up some plays for either Bogdanovich or Joe Ingles, because those guys are knockdown shooters. Yeah, but Joe Joe had 19 last game. Like Joe did what he needed to do. But that's what I'm saying. It's because if Joe's shooting the ball well right now, even though the Donovan's getting doubled, you got to force some situations where, okay, if the Clippers are doubling Donovan, that's going to leave Joe Ingles open for some decent shots and Bogdanovich as well. So, and don't sleep on Royce O'Neal either. He can get some shots up. If I know he has like this really, I think he's a decent weird shot. jump shot. It's weird, but he shoots those corner threes pretty well. So I think that's really the adjustment that I think the Utah Jazz are going to have to make going into game five is two things. Either they got to separate and they got to spread the floor so that way Donovan can get some one-on-one matchups or they allow the Clippers to double. Donovan kicks it out really quick when the trap comes in and then it sets up some decent shots on the perimeter for Joe Ingles or Bogdanovich as well, if they're able to get a pass to Rudy down low, it's even better. Because because then Rudy, if he's open, he can go for the shot. If he's getting a decent getting decent defense from whoever's playing up against him, he can kick it out to the corner or kick it out to the edge. And it leaves open shots for Bogdanovich and Ingles. So I think that's, the, that's some of the adjustments that Utah's going to have to make because game four, uh-uh. It's not happening for them. I think I'm going to go on the opposite spectrum here. Just a quick final note. Um, I don't think Utah really needs to focus on the offensive end, at least for the next game, because this game is just getting out of hand quickly. It's 40 to 17, a quarter of the way through the second quarter. Um, I think Utah is really going to need to focus on the defensive end. And I know that I said the same thing with Dallas, but it, 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 it literally – focuses on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George when those guys shoot over when they combine for over 50 points together it's almost impossible to stop because they're literally putting up half their team's points and all you need is a couple of role players to step up and just put up some double figures and the game is almost out of hand and when you have Kawhi as efficient as he is and Paul George having a a good playoff game you know that isn't a, a pandemic p game this is why this team was assembled the way that they were and Utah is scoring at a good enough clip to keep up offensively, but on the opposite end, they're giving up too many easy baskets. And I think that they need to kind of hone together and realize, hey, that zone seemed to be working for Dallas just a little bit uh, towards the, the middle portion of that series. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard did find ways to hit those mid-range jump shots, but outside of Dorian Finney-Smith, we did not necessarily have good defenders. Um, you know, you do have Royce O'Neal. You do have the defensive player of the year that is Rudy Gobert. 
Uh, I want to say that Joe Ingles is a okay-ish defender, and we know that Donovan Mitchell can be a little bit of a pest at times. But this is the challenge for them because we do know that this team can be undersized, especially in the sense of going up against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Paul George is 6'10". Paul George is putting that ball up no matter who's guarding him, honestly. That jump shot puts him over seven feet. Kawhi Leonard's, what, 6'7", 6'8"? He's putting up good shots. Not really many people that match up against him. And the mismatches continue on that side of the basketball. So unless Utah finds ways to maybe maybe change their defensive settings into a zone, try to limit their perimeter shots, maybe try to limit their interior drive, I don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to combat the firepower that the L.A. Clippers do present. Um, if this game does end in a blowout the way that it's kind of proceeding, I think that L.A. has all the momentum going into Utah to be able to take this game, or should I say take the next game, because I don't know if Utah's going to be able to keep up shot for shot. Donovan can only do so much. If he doesn't have a running mate, and if they don't change that defensive output, there's not a chance on this green earth that the Clippers hold back and they don't win this series. Well, here's the interesting dynamic that I see between the Jazz and the Clippers in this sense. I think Utah's backcourt is pretty solid. They got Donovan and Joe Ingles. Like both of those guys could score. However, on the defensive end, I wouldn't necessarily say they're lockdown defenders. To me, the no. mismatch in this series for the Jazz is with the two and the three. That's Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich. You got to worry about Kawhi and Paul George. Those are your two guys that you're going up against at the two and the three. And the way that I see it is that the Clippers have the advantage there. Those are your two superstars on the team, and you're going up against Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles defensively, against them defensively. So the way that I see it, the Clippers have a great exploit right there. Because first of all, A, Kawhi is a lot more athletic than Bogdanovich. And Paul George, athletically speaking, is light years ahead of Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles is a great, is what I would consider a good shooter, but he's not the quickest basketball player. He's not, I wouldn't say he's really athletically, he's not an athletic superstar, but he's still an effective basketball player. There's, it's just that the difference athletically between Paul George and Joe Ingles is where the gap is. And in this series so far, we've seen Paul George been able to exploit that specifically in game three where he popped off and Kawhi as well. So that's really the matchup to me that I'm paying attention to for the rest of the series is really that two and three matchup between Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich. Because I think outside of that, Donovan has the has the advantage against Reggie Jackson, even though that Reggie Jackson can have his moments. I, I think Rudy Gobert is clearly the fa- is clearly uh the favorite at the five position compared to what anything that the Clippers can throw at with Zubash. And then at the four spot, I would say that Marcus Morris has the advantage over Royce O'Neal, but not by much. It's really that two to three spot, those two and three spots where the Clippers have an overwhelming advantage. And I think they're taking Utah's task on that in these two home games in LA. So when this series goes back to Utah or goes back to Salt Lake City in game five, that's what I'm paying attention to, is can Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich basically try to run it with Kawhi and Paul George? Because that's 
that's the matchup to me. I, I know a lot of people focus on Donovan because Donovan's like the superstar for Utah. I'm not really counting him for a second. It's just that matchup between the twos and the threes on in Utah versus LA is what I'm paying attention to the most. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously we do know that when you obviously put Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both on paper and on a court compared to a, a duo of Bogdanovich and Ingles, it's not really much of a question of who should win that matchup, but the score is 22 to 44 in the second quarter. So this game is going to continue to produce it the way that it's going. It looks clipped for the jazz. I know it's kind of funny the way that I use that, that word, but no pun intended. So we're going to move sure? on and transition. Sure? Yeah, no, I definitely, I swear on everything. I will own up to when I make a funny pun that was just kind of like spurted okay. out. And I was like, Oh wow. Clipped clippers. Um, okay. So we're moving on to the next topic. My New York Yankees look absolutely abysmal. We kind of look like dog shit as of recent. We kind of look like the beginning of the regular season where we were struggling to do a lot of relevant things. And I mean, like, we're losing a lot of games, but we're putting up a good amount of points in certain games. And I think this kind of all started after the White Sox series, which is, I think, the last time we kind of talked about the Yankees, believe it or not, which is kind of ironic. Yeah, Uh, we had a quick three-game. You were scared for that series, and then they ended up sweeping I, the, the White Sox. I was. I was, and then we went, and the, the Blue Jays came to town, and they took two out of three. The Detroit Tigers, we went down to Detroit. We got swept. We split 2-2 with the Rays. We got swept by the Red Sox. We lost the Twin Series. Actually, no, we won the Twin Series 2-1, to one, and then we got absolutely annihilated in a two-game inter, uh, interconference or inter whatever series against the Phillies. Phillies won eight seven, interleague series against the Phillies. The Phillies won on on Saturday eight seven, and then the Phillies absolutely annihilated us seven zero yesterday. So I'm kind of just looking at these Yankees performances, and I'm just circling pitching, man. Apparently, Luis Severino had a setback in rehab, and he pulled a groin, so he's looking like he's not going to be coming back anytime soon. Uh, Domingo Herman had an atrocious game uh, yesterday. He gave up, I believe, four or five runs. Um, or all this Chapman has blown about two saves in the last week or so. And I mean, it kind of continues from there, man. We really just cannot get anything going. Talon got rocked a couple of nights before and the, the Yankees overall just look like they've hit a slump. Uh, John Carlos Stanton is playing very well as of late. So I can't really pin it on him. Uh, Aaron judge and D DJ LeMay, you seem to be getting it together at the right time, but overall it's a team offensively. I can't necessarily complain within the last couple of games I want to say excluding some of the Red Sox games the Yankees scored five points to end the Red Sox series eight points nine points five points seven points and then we had that skunk outing against the uh the Phillies on uh, on Sunday so I can't say the offense is the issue now which is actually the opposite of the issue that we were looking at a few weeks ago which was the pitching was dominant but the offense was lacking so it seems we're going through a, some sorts of a, a midlife crisis as we approach the halfway point in the MLB season. So, I mean, the Yankees are just struggling, bro. I can't really say anything less than that because there are outings where we look absolutely stellar. Like we came back in the Phillies game, which is huge for me because we were down, I believe, 5 nothing, And it ended up being 2-7. to seven, And then we ended up coming back, tying the game in the ninth, and we lost in extras. So – I can't be upset at that, but overall, as a Yankees fan, we are just not performing. We had very int- – uh, oh, my goodness, I just lost the word. It started with an I, but it is what it is. We lost very important series against the, the Red Sox 
And then we struggled against the race, splitting that 2-2. Um, in order to try to take control of the AL East, we needed to dominate those series, and we just did not do those things. And I'm not happy. We're going into a series tomorrow against the Blue Jays. I believe it's four games. It's three games, actually. Excuse me. And the Blue Jays are one of the hottest teams in the AL East. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is absolutely crushing the baseball, and he's leading almost every statistical category offensively for the Blue Jays. And I don't know if we're going to be able to stop him. Mm. So I just – Kyle, you got a lot to say. I Mm. see it in your face. And you're making the Skip Bayless noise, which is actually getting me more upset. So Mm. just just, just tee off, man. What do you got to say, bro? Man, man, y'all eight and a half back against the Rays right now. Rays are freaking cooking. These boys are awesome. We split that series. I know. Eight and a half games back, though. Man, you guys were looking good about two weeks ago. I don't know. We got half the year to go, man. I I know. I know. Trust me, it's a, it's a long season. I, I'm fully aware of that. It's just I saw an ESPN Plus article before we started recording questioning whether the Yankees were even contenders, like playoff contenders at this point. And I'm looking at this record right now. They're one game above 500. Mm-hmm. They're three and seven in their last 10 games. And 17 and 16 at home. What's going on here? Like can't say anything, man. Playing like poopy. Where's the Bronx? This is this is like the mecca of baseball. Oh, the Bronx is there. It ain't had nothing to do with the Bronx. I'm let me tell you that. It ain't got nothing to do with the hood. It's the fact that the Yankees ain't fucking putting out. So don't be questioning the neighborhood if you don't know what you're talking about. We there, we booing them because we know they're not putting out what they need to be putting out. I'm just saying, maybe those boos gotta get a little bit louder then. Because we need a lot of things to get louder, man. I, I I'm, mean, I'm just tired of these performances, bro. It's I, I mean, it, it came to a point where, what the Yankees were, were really kind of like in a three-team race for the top of the AL East about a, about a month ago. I mean, literally, it was the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees competing for that top spot. And I think, if I remember right, the Rays and the Red Sox were tied for first place, and I think the Yankees were a half game back. And since then, it's just been an avalanche for the Yankees. I mean, the Red Sox are still there. They're only two and a half games back. But the Blue Jays have played better recently. And, man, the Yankees have really just kind of cratered since the last Yankees discussion that we had, which was probably about, what, three weeks ago? Two, three weeks ago. Yep. Yeah, so, like you said, though, it's a long season. And, I mean, just looking at the that, we're not even halfway through the season yet. You're not even at the 80 game point yet. So, you know, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting tired of it's, these, uh, these bullpen outings that we have. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just tired of these bullpen outings that we have. A lot of people are kind of just getting to the Yankee yeah. rumors. A lot of people are asking for Boone's head. Um, I don't necessarily know if letting Boone go is going to do anything. I was listening to, once again, I've mentioned them before the Bronx pinstripes podcast. And, uh, you know, shout out to them, always giving us great Yankee breakdown for us Yankee fans. If you guys aren't following them, check them out on uh, YouTube, Instagram. They're amazing. They give full analysis and breakdowns of all Yankee games and all Yankee content. But uh, they made a good point. We let go of Girardi because Girardi was very free spoken. Girardi was very against the grain. He kind of managed the team the way that he wanted to be managed. And uh, he was outspoken and very verbal about how he felt. Uh, about the team so what did we do we let him go and we hired Aaron Boone someone who's very inexperienced if if not 
completely inexperienced in the managerial portion of the game. And we went out, we won 100 games back-to-back years. Not because of Aaron Judge, excuse me, not because of Aaron Boone's ability to manage, but because we had incredible talent in that bullpen, in that, in that, uh, in that dugout, and overall as an organization. So um, going out there and firing the manager of the Yankees isn't really going to do anything for us when the inconsistencies are all around the team as a, as a whole. There are weeks when our pitching is lights out, like I've discussed, and our offense is abysmal. And then there's weeks where our offense looks like the Yankees, and then the pitching staff is just absolutely atrocious. Mm-hmm. So I think the Yankees kind of need to kind of take a deep dive into this season and, and, and really make a decision on whether or not we're going to kind of push forward to try to compete for, like Kyle said, maybe, maybe the, just the, the epitome of a wild card because it doesn't look like we're going to be able to compete for this ALE's title with the Rays running away with the division and all of the competitive teams in the AL uh, this season. So uh, I'm not really in, in encouraged uh, at the pace that we're going. I know that we do have a little bit more than halfway to go, obviously, but as Kyle said, three and seven in our last 10, it's just not, that's not going to cut it. And we're just kind of losing games. We need to win. I think if the Yankees can get their, their pitching and their hitting to like mesh where both of them are on, then you guys, I think can make a really big run here. But it's like you said, it's been one half does really well, like with the pitching staff, but the hitting's not there. Well, now the hitting's there and the pitching has been inconsistent, but it was like at some point, the pitching was going to take a step back or falter a little bit because let's be honest with you, the pitching staff for the Yankees the last month and a half have really outperformed my expectation of what I thought they would, but the Yankees bats let them down. Even though they won some of these games, they weren't putting a lot of runs up for their two, one, three, just, one, one, the, zero. Just yeah. the overall run support for the pitching staff was not there. And even with Chapman, like Chapman had a fantastic start to the season, and he's had twelve some and twelve bl- or thirteen and thirteen. He, he had yeah. he had some blown saves. I remember the one in Minnesota where they were up five to three, and he gave up two home runs in the bottom of the ninth. But at some point, look, he was going to probably blow a game or two here and there, which I think is normal. That that's not like oh my god, it's like it's the worst thing to ever happen. But it's it just happens. Can't expect perfection perfection in that in that regard. A closing yeah. pitching job is not an easy feat for anybody. Yeah, I just, I think at this point, you know, they kind of have to take stock in where they are right now. Obviously, they want to be in a better position that they're cur- currently in right now. And it's like I said, I think once they're able to finally get the bats and the pitching staff to perform at a high level at simultaneously, I think you guys could be set up for a big run. I just don't know whether or not that's going to be sparked by some sort of in-season trade, shaking up the lineup. I'm not 100% sure about that. That's probably your expertise better than what I could say. But it's just until – it can't just be one half of the team dominates and the other half is slacking. It, it It's not going to work out like that. It's going to lead to, unfortunately for you, them breaking your heart again. Yeah, I mean, you know, just to kind of circle around some of the rumors, uh, there are a lot of people aside from the air wound firing saying that we're going to be trading some valuable assets away. Um, I've seen speculation, not even official rumors, uh, of, of us entertaining offers for Judge. I, I, I've looked at things uh, maybe for Chapman. Uh, it's just like, obviously, when, when, when your team sucks or when your team is struggling, everybody's on the block, man. If, if you leave it up to the fans, they would get rid of, 
everybody on this roster when they get into a slump. So I take it with a grain of salt. Um, obviously, the consistencies are all falling behind. We need an, an, another pitcher with Severino setting a with Severino coming with a setback in rehab. It's not looking good for that 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 fifth spot in the rotation that kind of gets solidified. We've been doing a lot of these these bullpen games where we kind of throw somebody out there as a middle reliever and then kind of follow up with the rest of the pen. Luis Sessa has not been good this season up to par. Uh, Lasonia has been absolutely incredible this season, who actually got verified on Twitter. Shout out to my boy Santino. I actually got into a Twitter discussion with him, and uh, he responded back, so that was pretty cool. Um, but Michael King has not been playing well. Uh, Nick Nelson has not been playing well. So, I mean, overall as a whole, the Yankees pitching staff, like I've discussed a few minutes ago, just is just not playing up to par. So I think that we need to kind of sit back and reevaluate. Do we need to call some people up? Do we need to send the people back down? Do we need to make an acquisition at the trade deadline? Do we need to just let some people go in this offseason? I don't know. I don't know what Cashman's thinking. I don't know what the Yankees are thinking. So I can only speculate. I'm not happy with where we are. I do think that we can turn it around. But I said this a few moments ago. I don't think that we're going to be able to compete for this AL East title. I think that our best setup is sitting here fighting for a wild card spot just because I – don't think we can keep up with the Rays as the season progresses if we continue to have inconsistencies offensively and defensively. Like Kyle said, we have to be able to come together and win the games that we need to win. No disrespect to the Philly series. That's irrelevant to us, at least in terms of not only division, but conference record. We're going to sit here. We're going to get swept by the division rivals of all people, the Red Sox. We're going to split two with the goddamn fucking Rays. And then we're going to fucking, we're going to split, or should I say, we're going to lose one to the Twins, bottom of the ninth, with Aroldis Chapman. I think that 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 kind of hindered our ability going into the Philly series. And um, Guess what, by the time? We just can't go. Yeah, we went. I don't want to talk about that, man. That was just embarrassing. I don't know. Bro, I looked bad. at my phone, and I, I, I saw the box score, and I was like, bro, are we really losing to these idiots? But, hey, it is what it is. We have a long baseball season to go. That's why I love this sport. It's one of my favorites to watch. It is honestly probably one of the main reasons – I fell in love with baseball, if I'm being honest. It's just how long it is and how much more meaningful baseball kind of arrives at the last month of the season. Um, my dumbass did not go and get the S Network as much as I wanted to. I should have done that. I would have been able to watch the Yankees every fucking day. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, as we continue to proceed with the episode, um, Kyle was able to watch the UFC fights over the weekend. So, I mean, I'm going to kind of pass the reins over to Kyle. Um, what the hell happened this weekend with the Nate Diaz fight? And the Adesanya, 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 Yeah, that, that whatever whatever fights happened, I did see only maybe a, a couple of clips of the fights this weekend. So, Kyle, give give, give me your opinion, man. What, what was this? Did, did this weekend kind of live up to the expectations of what it what it should have been? I, I thought all in all, it, it was pretty good. Um, with the Adesanya fight, I, with the Adesanya fight. That was probably one of the easiest fights that Adesanya has ever fought. And he's going up against the number three contender in the middleweight series in Marvin Vittori. And let me break it down to you guys like this. Adesanya could have won this fight had he just done leg kicks the entire night and not thrown one punch. Because Marvin could not hit Israel the entire night. Five rounds. It went the full 25 minutes. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't see a nick on Israel's face and it, it got so bad that at the end of the fifth round, 
there's like 10 seconds left. Israel's back is up on the cage and Marvin is like hitting, he's punching Israel's like quads and Israel, like the entire night has been dodging punches to his face from Marvin. And he ends up trolling him like, like faking an injury, like faking, like he's actually getting hurt by these punches that Marvin's throwing at them that are just absolutely landing no damage whatsoever. And that's pretty much what the entire fight was just because Marvin just could not hit Israel. This is one of the first fights that I've seen Adesanya where his defense really stood out and his leg kicks were nasty because Marvin's, I want to believe it was his left leg, like his left uh, calf was just beat to hell. And that's one of the things that I think UFC fighters are really starting to take notice of is that these leg kicks are vicious because they can take all of the power out of somebody's lead leg to generate shots, whether it's just generating power for a punch or generating power with a kick. So I thought Israel's all around game in this fight against Marvin was just on point. And then to talk about, I will say this. We, I know you didn't mention it in your, in your intro, um, Brandon Moreno in the flyweight division goes up against uh, Dievison Figueredo. Uh, Figueredo's from Brazil. Moreno's from Mexico. And Moreno won the belt against Figueredo in a stellar performance. Moreno is actually the first Mexican-born UFC champion uh, currently. He's the, he's the first one. So it definitely kind of shows a little bit of Mexican pride for for. Moreno and I, I saw a video of his gym. I think he trains over in Tijuana, just south of the border of San Diego, and they were going nuts when Moreno uh, won against Figueredo. And the thing about Moreno's victory that was particularly striking, no pun intended, to me was his speed. It seemed like Figueredo was in catch up the entire night simply because Moreno's just overall speed, his overall agility, he was on one. He was landing shots. He was landing the takedowns. And he almost got Figueredo to tap in the second round. Ends up going to the third round. Moreno gets him into just a a deadly uh, chokehold. And then um, Figueredo taps out, and then Moreno becomes your flyweight champion. So that's a huge win for Moreno. And Figueredo definitely showed a lot of class and respect for Moreno uh, winning the belt against him. But don't be surprised if we see Figueredo uh, come back to form sooner rather than later because um, he didn't take too much damage in that fight. And Figueredo is probably one of the most dangerous fighters in that flyweight division. But like I said, a lot of credit you have to give to Brandon Moreno. He was sensational from the start of the fight to the end of the fight. And, you know, for, for Mexico, that, that's that's big because that's their first Mexican-born UFC champions. So that's that's really huge. And then, like you mentioned, the, the fight with uh, Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards, to be quite honest with you, Leon Edwards dominated that fight from beginning to end. But despite how freaking bloody Nate was, and trust me, he was, he, man, he, got a, he landed a good one-two combo on Leon Edwards that had him stunned, and he had him hurt. And I was actually surprised that Nate didn't go after him. He pointed at him. And said, I got you. But with a minute left in the fifth round, 
I was just really surprised that Nate just didn't go for broke and try to go for either a takedown attempt or to just keep cracking shots at Leon because Leon has this thing that I called like a million mile stare. When you get cracked and you're trying to stay upright, your eyes get really big and it's just, it seemed like Leon had that million mile death stare just because he knew that he got cracked and was trying to stay upright without falling. And I thought the fans thought that Nate was going to go and try to end it in the fifth round where up until that point, Leon had dominated the fight. I mean, you just look at freaking Nate. Nate looked like he went through a freaking, it looks like he just came out of a scene from the exorcist or like, he just like had a battle with Jason. Like Nate was dripping in blood, but you can never Kate, you can never count Nate out. He, he is never faced. And he's just one of those guys. He could take an absolute beating in that cage. And he can land that one-two combo against Leon Edwards in the last minute of the fight and make it interesting. You never know with Nate. So all in all, though, I thought Leon was spectacular up until that fifth round. And it, it is good for Leon because Leon finally got a chance to fight. He'd been so snake bitten by just all of the COVID uh, issues that took place for the last year with the UFC. I think he had two to like two or three separate fights get canceled because either he got COVID or somebody that he was going up against had COVID. So he finally got a chance to display his skills. He had a really good performance get Nate against Nate Diaz. It's just that fifth round that everybody's going to remember. It's like, damn, you dominated the whole fight, but you got cracked by Nate with a minute to go and damn near lost the fight. So when Leon goes into his next fights, I imagine he's going to be hearing a couple questions about, about that last minute of Nate's fight, but Leon is definitely one of, he's a good fighter. He's the number three fighter in that division. So I expect Leon to get a pretty good matchup going into his next fight, probably in a couple of months from now, but all in all, uh, I thought UFC 263 was pretty entertaining. I thought some of the, the um, preliminary fights were good. There was a Drew Dober fight. I forget who he's going up against. I think he ended up losing. He was going up against, um, I forget the guy's name. He's from New Zealand, but uh, it was like a three round battle. And I believe the, uh, the guy from New Zealand ended up winning the fight. I, I just, I'm forgetting the guy's name. I apologize, but yeah, all in all, this is a decent card. I got a little bit of, of a complaint with the, the Israel Adesanya fight simply just because it was kind of boring. It wasn't really much going on as far as activity goes, but Israel's one of the goats, man. He's amazing. He's only lost one fight, and that one fight was out of his division going up to light heavyweight against a guy that crack and Jan Blagojevic. So, man, Israel, I, I fear for anybody that has to go up against him in that middleweight division because he's basically run through that entire division without really any sort of resistance that I could speak of. But, yeah, that's all I got. Right, honestly, the fact that you remember all that stuff, I can't lie to you. I just I sit here, I just nod my head like, oh, okay. <laughs> Listen, you know, I started watching the UFC about two, two and a half years ago. And I, the thing that I had an issue with was trying to remember all of the names. Just because, like, I was trying to figure out, okay, like, who's good, who's, like, decent, and who's, like, so-so. And, you know, I've seen these guys who have held, held the belt – or, or still currently holding the belt, like uh, Kamaru Usman in the welterweight division. You got Israel in the middleweight division. Like these guys have consistently 
held their own and dominated their respective divisions since they've attained their belts. So, and then you had guys like Khabib Nurmagomedov, where he just absolutely dominated the lightweight division to the point where nobody could even win a round against him. And now you got, you know, Brandon Moreno in the flyweight division that was largely dominated by Henry Cejudo before he retired. And now after two battles that Figueredo had, Brandon comes in and, and takes the title from him in a really good fight. It's just, you know, it took time though. Like these things, it usually takes about a year or two to kind of, it takes a year to like understand like who's good. And then that really, that, that second year of watching the UFC, you kind of figure out, okay, like you can kind of like actually make projections of like, you know, how good someone's going to be or how long they're going to be able to hold the belt for. And then and now I'm just basically comfortable to the point where, you know, I'm pretty confident in my, either my predictions or my pro- projections on where these guys are going to go when they're in their respective divisions. Hey man, I give it to you. More expertise we have on this show, the better. I might be a little bit more intuitive it's, with, with baseball. It's, You've got the UFC. I ain't mad at it. It's fun, man. I tell you what, like the only thing that scares me about the UFC when I watch it is two things. It's the arm bars, anything, any sort of arm bar, I turn away because my fear is I'm going to watch somebody's elbow like snap. And it's just just one thing. Like I just, I just, I turn away. And then um, other than that, sometimes those heel hooks can be nasty. Heel hooks are nasty. Those are not fun to watch because you're thinking it's like, oh my God, I'm going to watch somebody's like freaking ankle snap. But outside of that, it's dude, it's, it's really fun to watch. Like I know a lot of people have always really like the last couple generations have always kind of watched boxing because that's boxing dominated the fighting world for decades. It's just with the UFC, the versatility in different forms of uh, martial arts is the draw for me. You know, obviously, you know, you still have the, the punching power of box, like of boxing, but you could switch it up. You could take the fight down to the ground. You could do leg kicks. That's where the kind of the kickboxing comes in. You could take it down to the ground where you could show your jujitsu. Like d- the versatility that these mm-hmm. UFC fighter brings is the appeal for me more than boxing. I still watch boxing every now and then, but my main draw is towards the UFC that's that's just how I see it. that's how I see it and I, I think Dana has done a really good job getting the UFC to where it is currently absolutely and I mean UFC is one of the not more recent kind of adaptations in the sports world obviously it, it's have, a lot it's, it's, it's like only like 20 years old it's, it's not that old I'm talking about in terms of in terms of traction and like attraction oh, and yeah. like you know like yeah so that kind of is a perfect segue into our next topic. Um, this is our final point of today's episode. Uh, I kind of mentioned this to Kyle kind of as, as the day went on. And as I continue to kind of watch this particular aspect of the sporting world continue to develop, um, the e-sporting world, the gaming world has absolutely erupted with the emergence of gamers such as Tim the Tatman, Nick Merckx, Ninja, and so on and so forth. Um, I kind of just wanted to touch on quickly 
with Kyle, with us being of that generation that was always, always, always outside, playing video games on an occasion, you know what I'm saying? Like if it was raining, if it was snowing, something that really kept us on the inside or like on a weekend where like we didn't have plans with friends or our parents were away, we were always on the outside doing something physical. And we kind of adapted to the video game thing as we got older and realized like, hey, I don't really wanna go outside. I don't really wanna play these sports. I ain't got no money to go nowhere, so I'm gonna just kind of chill in the crib. And video games are always like a secondary habit for us growing up. And now seeing the gaming community kind of expand to the realm that it has over the last four or five years to, to, to see the Sports Illustrated cover. Like for, for me in particular, whenever I, my dad got those issues going in, I was immediately drawn to it. Sports Illustrated was always that go-to that, oh my God, who's on the cover? Like what athlete is it? What team is it? What, what, what topics are we going to talk about on this issue? to see the gaming community absolutely take over mm-hmm. and the phase clan be on the cover. I don't think people understand how significant that is for esports. It's always been the core four or five NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, and, and maybe mm-hmm. some international like, soccer. Like, like, the, it, like the Olympics and things like that. It, Exactly. It's always been an actual physical dominant sport to be on this, on this, an athlete, somebody that does a physical activity. Again, no disrespect to the esports community, but we're talking about gamers now taking the next step in this generation to not only make their mark on the world, but in the sports realm, because they're now being classified as their own realm of sports. Call of Duty, Fortnite, back in our day, the Halo, Gears of War. The, the originals have now kind of carried on into this next generation of just e-sport athletes. And I, Kyle, I just want to get your opinion. Again, we're of that older generation. I know we're not old, old like our parents and not to say that they're old if they're listening. I know my parents aren't, but um, our generation is just almost like kind of not heard of because everybody is almost either playing a video game on social media. They prefer to be indoors or whatever have you. What are your thoughts on FaZe being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, bro? Honestly, it took me for a loop. And when I saw Nick Merckx carry that on live stream, like when he broke that and him and Swag saw that, I thought that was incredible, dude. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how I really feel about this one. I am kind of conflicted on it because I, I'll speak for myself here. I've always looked at video games as a hobby, just kind of something to like – you know, if I'm done with work, I'm just trying to chill, you know, I'll play video games just to kick it with the homies for a little bit, you know, talk, you know, just talk with the homies for a little bit while we play a game or something. Um, I don't know if I necessarily cl- classify these guys as athletes. I know that they think that they should, and if they want to, they can make their case for it. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that if they make a compelling case, you know, to me about it. It's just the way that I see it is that, yes, it takes an absolute high level of skill to play these games at the level that they play at. But there are other things that are competitive as well. Like I don't see somebody who's like the greatest chess player or the greatest checkers player being put on the cover of sports illustrated, because to be honest with you, chess or checkers is not really the most fun or exciting thing to watch. I think the main draw for the video game aspect of it is the fact that there's, 
some of these matches in like a Call of Duty game or a couple of years ago in Fortnite, there is a level of excitement in these matchups, especially when it comes to these battle royales. Because like for me personally, that's when the gaming community as a whole jumped to a new stratosphere because the idea of the map kind of closing in and then you, you kind of see the last couple guys really kind of battle it out at the end. There's a lot of excitement and it can be very compelling to watch, especially for, you know, for guys like me, like when I was trying to figure out how to play Fortnite, I would watch these guys like Ninja, Tim, the tap man, uh, Nick Merckx, uh, even like guys on uh, Tifu. Yeah. Like, they played the and even guys in like TSM, like uh, Daquan and Myth. Like, you know, I learned how to play Fortnite because of those guys, just because those guys they were light years beyond what I could play because they had been playing video games across the board for, for years at a competitive level. So transitioning from Call of Duty to Fortnite, all you had to do was kind of figure out how to build and then you know you could dominate the game early on when everybody was still trying to figure out how to play it. So, you know, it is just kind of like the evolution of, I just think where kids these days are going. I think a lot more kids are probably focused on, I still think kids nowadays, they, they still enjoy playing sports outside, but there is a world now of gaming that you could gravitate towards that is just as popular or popular in some ways to some sports that you actually have to play physically with uh, play uh, where it's actually physical. So, you know, for me, it's like you said in your, in your intro, I've always kind of looked at game. I've always looked at gaming as like a, as like a hobby for me. And I've always seen gaming as kind of secondary because I've always enjoyed going outside playing sports, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, you know, I did those things. Like it was fun to just be outside and actually play the game you know now that you know you're getting into a situation where gaming is itself is getting better not only the graphics but the games themselves are really really good so you know i i don't know where it's going to keep going i think it kind of largely depends on what type of game you play but dude these call of duty tournaments Bro, they're next level. These Rocket League tournaments, dude, they're next level. Like, these guys are going after real money. And I think Ninja got paid more last year than freaking Giannis did. Just like when you, you count all of the endorsements um, and everything. Endorsements yeah. and, and the money that he was getting from Twitch. I know he had that little deal with Mixer. And then I think that went, kind of went to the side and he's back on Twitch or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll tell you what, though, (laughs) give it 10 years. You know, there's going to be like, it wouldn't surprise me if there's like professional gaming leagues 10 years from now, like where you actually have. I mean, there there are gaming, like professional tournaments that only majors can get in. I'm not talking tournaments. I'm talking about where you have, you have teams from different cities competing against another against one another in a game like where well, to a certain extent that's what that's what phase clan 100 thieves are and like all of these other smaller organizations but, but, that are but, scattered but, across the country but there's but the problem is there's not enough of them yet what i'm saying is is that as time progresses 
Oh yeah, they're, they're going to be bigger, way bigger. Well, there's going to be more teams. There's going to like granted, like right now, it's like Phase. Phase is one of the biggest clan, uh, one of the biggest gaming organizations. I think Optic is 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 a pretty big one in, in Call of Duty. Yep. Yep. You give that ten years, there are teams that we don't even know about yet. They're going to come to prominence in the next five yeah. to ten years. Give that time. It wouldn't surprise me if you see some sort of actual gaming league where it's like something like on the level of, I'm not saying like literally on the level of the NFL, but an organization like that, where it's like this big entity and then you have teams underneath it. That's where I can see it going. I'm going to throw you back real quick. We was in high school. Bro, these three letters meant you were elite. M L G. Yeah. Major League Gaming. Yeah. These were the people, right? In our generation again, just to quote me in Kyle's timeline. I'm we're both 26 years old. When we heard MLG, we said, yo, we don't want to play with these guys. There's, there's, there's no point. When you saw the clan tag MLG or you saw the MLG emblem in Modern Warfare 2 and 3, when you saw the client, it just you said, bro, these dudes about to murk us, bro. Not because of hacks, not because of cheating. Not, bro, you saw MLG and you immediately shit your pants as a gamer because you were you were going into a multiplayer game saying, yo, these guys about to get a nuke within the first like six minutes. Like they're not competing against us. They're competing against each other who can get it faster. These were the kids that got home from school and just did video games from three o'clock all the way until one, two o'clock in the morning. And whether they were disobeying their parents or their parents didn't give a shit or whatever, these are the kids we are admiring now. Because we made fun of these kids. We said these kids needed a life. We said they needed to get outside. And now that they're now in their 20s and 30s and who knows how far. Like Dr. Disrespect has been doing this for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. The dude's really older. And he's out here making hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars being a professional streamer meanwhile he's been doing it since probably halo one no one just gave a shit even before them nick 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 merks has been doing this since xbox 360 when youtube was just coming up to be about its own thing swag one of the originators of the face clan or not originators but one of one of one of the more prominent names of the face clan today was doing his channel early on in his high school days that, that, that that blew up to what it is today the point what i'm trying to get at is it just goes to show how far society has come when we used to like collectively make fun of this group of people because they chose to be indoors rather than not. And these are the people making millions of dollars while we're sitting here in our mid twenties, early thirties, and we're not professional athletes. We're doing our eight to fives, nine to fives, who knows some of us even worse. And we're chilling here trying to make ends meet. And to, to, to add insult to injury, these players are fucking playing a video game, making millions of dollars to do a hobby, mm-hmm. to literally sit here. I just got a notification for Swag right now. He just went live about 10 minutes ago. He's got 19,000 subscribers on Twitch. Guys, just do the fucking math. A subscription is $5.99 on Twitch. They get about $4 of it. That's just a tier one subscription. There's three different tiers on Twitch. There's donations, there's sponsorships. So you times $4 by 19,000 people. Bro, they're making an end of year salary 
in a month because a subscription lasts 30 days. Mm-hmm. Let that sink to play a bit. People are watching. People are paying to watch somebody play a game you play every day at six o'clock when you get off of work and you make yourself some dinner, you take your dog for a walk, you sit there and you don't want to watch a game. You just want to play video games like Casa with your friends. People are literally watching these people play a game. No matter what it is, Minecraft, Call of Duty, Fortnite, whatever. You, dude, there's a segment on Twitch called Just Chatting. I literally opened the Twitch app earlier today on lunch from work. Tim the Tatman went live at like 1230. He had 34,000 people in his stream. And he was just talking about nonsense. He wasn't even playing it. That is how far the gaming community has gone. That is why I respect the fact that these people who have hustled from before the 2010s, 2006, 7, 8, 9, all the way throughout and kind of kept it consistent are now in the upper echelon of some of the most wealthy athletes in this world. Again, they're not doing anything of physical. They're not tackling a 300-pound man. They're not hitting a game winner on one foot with 2.4 seconds to go in the NBA. They're not hitting a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Mm-hmm. But what's crazy is some of these athletes are joining some of these gaming organizations. Prime example, Kyler Murray is a part of the face clan. He was on the cover. LeBron James's son, Bronny James, he was on the cover. He's a part of the clan. And these people do it. You know what's crazy? They're professional athletes to a certain extent. Bronny, obviously, still in high school. He's got a long way to go. But these are people that play sports that are disgusting at video games. So it just shows their dual capabilities. Kyler Murray playing one of the hardest sports in the entire world and playing in the NFL. And he plays the quarterback position. And he's one of the best players in the league. Mm-hmm. And he jumps on fucking Xbox or PlayStation or PC or whatever fucking gaming thing he wants to do. And he's out there dropping 20 kills a game in Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. He's out there dropping 70 points in Madden. Like, these are not easy feats. So there has to be a recognition on, in this gaming community. And I think that them excelling to this point and reaching this milestone of being on the cover is incredible. And I think they deserve respect, man. Like, me and Kyle have said it a multitude of times in this episode, this quick segment. This was just a hobby for us for the majority of our life that has turned into now a lifestyle for a lot of people. Kids aren't playing outside because their parents are saying, yo, you can make $2 million in two hours to play Fortnite rather than spend 18 years to maybe get into a D2 school. It it don't work. It's crazy. It don't work like that. It's crazy. Listen, you kind of have to look at these guys in a you know way that you kind of have to look at professional athletes and i'm talking about actual uh, professional athletes like that play a physical sport you're gonna have your standouts it doesn't matter if it's the nfl the nba the nhl mlb or even in the gaming world you're going to have people that stand out because you know how much how much time are you willing to dedicate to actually use it for your craft and with with these kids and with these guys they focus on video games it doesn't matter if it's call of duty or fortnite whatever it could be anything it's just that these guys are rare 
you're talking about hours upon hours of playing one game and getting amazing at it. And, you know, I know a lot of kids play video games, but they're, listen, not all of these kids are going to grow up to be Tim the Tatman or Ninja. You know, those guys are a little bit different, you know, because those guys were extraordinary at video games, at, specific, at the, the games that they played at very well. And I, I've always said this about Kevin and I were talking about this before we even started recording. I don't think the gaming community would be where it's at right now without Fortnite. Because Fortnite came at the perfect time where it's a new game. Streaming was becoming a much bigger thing where you see these top level guys just absolutely dominating this battle royale for, format in Fortnite. But they're making it exciting and compelling to where people outside of the gaming community are getting exposure to this and it's becoming mainstream. So that's where I kind of really see where this whole thing took off. And I don't know if it's going to, I don't know if the, I don't know if it's going to ever have like the same momentum that it had two to three years ago. I think there's going to be like ups and downs, like when a new game comes out or a new type of format comes out, like where it becomes really popular. But the new Battlefield trailer just dropped, dude. People yeah, are going ape shit because yeah. everyone's tired of Warzone already. This is this, dude, dude, this, yeah. this is gonna be around for a while because people are content with watching these professionals play these that, games. That's the thing, and then taking tips and tricks to play it themselves. And it, I think you kind of have to, I think you kind of have to look at this pragmatically, though. Is that you know if you want to be the best, you're going to have to take the time to master your ability to play the game that you're really good at and be damn near a god in that game. And I think, like, for me personally, like, I play Rocket League. And I'm like a champ two, like, just on the verge of like a champ three and twos. And I play against grand champions and I get wrecked. I'm getting carried to the point like where I'm getting, you know, maybe a couple hundred points a game when my teammate is getting damn near 800, 900 points a game. So I'm a decent Rocket League player, but like compared to these guys that are going absolutely nuts where they're winning tournaments, making possibly tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to win these tournaments, these guys are insane. Like, there's no way of saying it. Like, there's no other way of saying it. So, you know, different form of an athlete. I don't necessarily categorize them as an athlete because I've always kind of looked as an athlete, as a physical performer playing a sport that's actually taking place outside or indoors, depending on what it is. You know, this is e-gaming and it's, I can't, I, for me, can't say that these guys are athletes. They're extremely skilled at what they do. But, you know, it kind of depends on the format. For for sports, though. It's just a different branch because of how competitive and how much time it takes to put. There are a lot of things. It's not easy, man. There are a lot of things that are competitive, though, that aren't necessarily physical. It's like I mentioned just a couple minutes ago. 
I mean, there are freaking chess and checkers tournaments all the time. It doesn't get the exposure that it does because it doesn't have the it's appeal that gaming did. Yes. But, yes. But, the, but there's so much skill and there's so much knowledge that you have to really accrue to become a really good chess player. Like it just, it doesn't get the exposure. It's because gaming is the, is the new is really kind of like what I would consider kind of like our generation and the, the Gen Z's like, this is like, it's becoming so much more prominent and it's a lot more accessible for us because our generation just eats it up. Like our generation eats it up. The Gen Z's eat it up. I don't know really about the Gen Y's and the Gen X's. They probably look at this like, this is like stupid. Like, why are you guys paying and spending all of your time watching somebody play a goddamn video game? You know, go outside and do something productive. That's what they probably think. And to a certain extent, I can kind of agree with them on that. But listen, if you want to become a professional gamer, you know, put the time and money and effort to make it happen. You know, don't half-ass it. It's like the same thing with these, these sports players that we talk about. These guys don't bullshit their craft. They constantly focus on this from day in and day out. And hundred percent. You know, I know a lot of the, I know a lot of kids probably have these dreams and aspirations. Oh, I'm going to be, you know, the, one of the best call of duty players of all time. I'm like, well, if you say that be about it, but I know a lot of times they won't ever live up to that, that level that they think that they can reach because they don't want to put the time and effort in. That's just that's a generational thing. That's a youth thing, and yeah. it, well, I'm, we're not going to dive into that. There's just no point. There's not enough time in the world for that. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out, man. Like I know these people are never going to see this, and if they do, you know, kudos to you guys. We're probably going to tag you guys in the segment, but like Tim the Tatman, Nick Merckx, um, Joe Wall, a lot of these people that I watch day in and day out, not just because of their content in terms of their production in the Call of Duty world, but the conversations that they have in and outside, you know, they listen to these people's stories, you know, people donate to them, people, you know, <clears throat> people subscribe to them because they're, they're a relief or they're an escape from their everyday life. The amount of people that talk about, you know, when they send a subscription or they send a donation, you know, yo, Nick. I really want to say, you know, thank you for getting me through this, that, and the third. And, you know, like, I respect your organization, the things that you stand for, the things that you do. Like, you know, there's times where I'm down in my life and I watch your stream and you guys make me laugh. and You make me feel like I can get through things. Like, their entertainment beyond just the gaming community because they do have certain segments where they talk about life or they talk about things that are going on in the world. So I have caught a lot of them in their just chatting moments or in their gaming moments where they're in between games and lobbies and they're actually talking and communicating with their communities and their organizations. And they're saying, you know, like, it's okay. You're going through a divorce. You have to be able to push through it. You know, like they're just talking to their chat about the things that they're willing to express. So, I mean, like, like I said, man, Tim the Tatman, Nick Merckx, Joe Woe, Lucci TV. There's, there's a bunch of streamers that I just watch on a regular basis that, truly and honestly try to make differences in people's lives i get it they're getting paid to play these video games they're getting paid to do a lot of the things that they do but they don't have to go out there and give the advice that they give or try to make other people's lives better because of that you know there are a lot of streamers that they don't say much while they're streaming they kind of just play the game and then they kind of get off and they say you know like thanks for subscribing and then they get off you know it takes a real person a really out there um what's the word I'm looking for extrovert to 
be able to communicate with their community at the level that they do as well as staying at the top of their game. So, I mean, like, I just, I'm grateful, at least within the last couple of years that I've been watching them, that they're able to do that and kind of connect with people like us. You know what I'm saying? Just because you and I are 26 years old and come from two different places and we may or may not get in their chat conversation or Nick or Tim may not see it, but if they do, they respond to you within seconds because obviously if you have 30 to 40,000 people in a chat and you just constantly have messages rolling through, you're not gonna be able to see everything. But if they do, they definitely respond. There's been times I've, 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 I've talked to uh, Lucci TV and he's responded or, or a smaller streamer like Philly Mamba and he's responded. You know what I'm saying? I put messages in Nick Merckx's and he'll get to it eventually. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying he responds every time, but you know that he sees it, you know, like he'll kind of say it as he goes along through his stream. But bottom line, the fact that the gaming community has expanded to the way that it has over the last couple of years is incredible. And I give them nothing but credit because it, it, it's not an easy feat. And I respect the journey and the grind and the process that people like Nick and Ninja had to go through early on in the 360 days to kind of stay loyal and dedicated to the process and to where they are now. Obviously, Ninja being one of the most high grossing video game players in the entire world. And uh, Nick Merck's kind of following suit behind that. They're just, their goals to a certain extent, I wouldn't want to play video games for the rest of my life, but it just goes to show for those of you out there that, that want to do something in the world. If you don't give up on it, you continue to practice at your craft and get better and become the best of what you do. Mm -hmm. Anything's possible. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's like you said, you have to put the time and effort in to get where you want to, you know, and I don't want this to go lost in translation with the points that I made. It's like, these guys have earned their place though. They've put the time 100%. in. They've 100%. made the most of their opportunities and then some. And these guys, doesn't matter whether it was Ninja, whether it was Tim the Tatman, Myth, Daquan when he was playing Fortnite. I mean, all these guys made their impact and still continue to make their impact to this day. So, you know, I, I give these guys a lot of credit for, you know, really being dedicated to play video games the way that they do because i know for me like i play video games for like an hour or two and then i'm like okay like i'm good like they do it for eight nine hours a day like i i just don't have the, the the time for it just because like i don't i don't dedicate that time to just solely playing video games but the fact that these guys do then they, they make a great living because of it and then they're able to engage with you know potentially thousands tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people instantaneously i i think it's great so you know i i definitely appreciate the fact that they've made the most of their opportunities and you know these guys are going to be inspiring the next generation of gamers and you know hopefully they can kind of um carry the torch to as to say you know from you know, the generation that we see currently into the next one. So, you know, you know, for these kids, you know, just take notes, you know, take notes of what you're watching. Um, because, you know, the way that I see it, it's only going to get bigger from here. I really think that just like, it, like eventually, like once I think gaming kind of gets more uh, into the, uh, the virtual reality realm within probably the next five or 10 years, that's where you're probably going to see things. You'll you never see me again. You're you're probably going to see 
I think gaming go to a level that I don't think you and I can even really kind of comprehend because everything that we've, we've done, it's been with a screen in front of us, usually with a controller. Now you put something over your face, over your eyes, and then you're actually in the game. That could potentially be a game changer. And, and like, for me, that's like, that's something that could really make a difference. You will as never, like the, you will never see me again. This podcast will never see me again. Yeah. Just... Shout out to Ricky. Ricky, Ricky. For those of you that have watched Sword Art Online, the anime, you know what I'm talking about. You'll never see me again. I still like actually living in the real world. I'm just saying. That's just how I how I roll. Nah. I'm always hurt. My body's always achy. I'll be in pain a lot. If I could be some kind of some kind of superhero with powers in another dimension, another world. I'm about that action. Bro. It, it, listen, if there's no pain, there's no gain. That's how I see it. I like. Actually... I ain't gaining shit. I just got more pain. I'm about that action, bro. Let me get into that VR, bro. I ain't coming back, bro. Just put attach me to a catheter. I ain't coming out. I'll be all right. Well, it's like that. Um, oh, what what's that series on Netflix? Uh, Black Mirror. Uh, you don't watch Netflix, do you? Uh, some. I mean, a little bit. Yeah, there's a there's a series where. Um, I think it's called Black Mirror. I, I hope I'm getting the name right. Um, there's an episode where it, it kind of dives into that VR world a little bit, it, it, even though the episode gets a little bit weird. But it's not like a th- it's not like an uh, a thing that you put over. It's not like a visor you put over your your eyes. It's like this little like round little plastic thing that you attach to you attach the attached attached to the side of your head. I can't believe it took me that long to actually say that. Um, you doing okay? It's what's well, midnight. It's it's like I said. It's, been it's a midnight. Day. No, it's not. It is midnight, my guy. Oh, I, you're gonna have a long day at work, bro. But I got tomorrow off, so. Good but for you, bro. But Shit. like getting back to the point, yeah, they they attach like this little plastic thing to their head, and it, then it takes them into the game. So they actually play the game. I think it's like the game that they play in that Black Mirror episode is like uh, it's like a a version of like uh mortal combat essentially even though that episode Clutch. the episode gets a little weird but the idea that they were going like the the idea of like where gaming could go is kind of like in that episode of black mirror so it was kind of cool but that's you. where that's where i can kind of see gaming really start going into like the next dimension once vr becomes a honestly vr could just take over once it really starts getting traction i stand by what i said you'll never see me again but anyway um this topic kind of really got away from us. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not expect it to be as in-depth as, as, it, as it went. So with all of that being said, um, that's going to be it for me. I can't speak for Kyle, but once again, thank you guys for all the support, all the love, the comments. Um, everything we can get from this channel has been nothing short of incredible. Um, we're continuously working on a weekend and week out basis to make this as good as we can as 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 beneficial for the audience as it has been for us. We enjoy this just for the pure satisfaction of we have fun doing this. And if this ends up amounting into something great, then so be it. If not, we legit just, we, we have fun and we enjoy bringing content to you guys. Even if you guys hear about it from other platforms or other services, this is just something Kyle and I have talked about for a very, very, very long time. And uh, we're grateful for whatever success or whatever, whatever this turns out to be. So we're going to make sure this gets as, as, as good as it gets. And we're going to make sure that this gets better every week. So that's all I got to say, guys, man, we really appreciate all the support in all aspects. 
except for fucking Spotify this week, man. Fucking almost a week by, we only got two plays. Step it up, guys. Come on, man. Hey, hey, man, don't be hating. Don't be hating now. Come on. Two plays in a week, bro. Don't don't be hating. Don't be hating. I'm just saying. But, no, Kev said it best. Like, there's not really much that I could add here. Um, Definitely be dropping another episode uh, later in the week. Oh, Kev, I know we're on live, but I got to ask you a question. Um, I asked Tyree last week if he wanted to be on an episode. Uh, for the podcast, about it. About it. You want to do it later this week? About it. Yeah. Tyree's always welcome on this damn podcast. If you guys aren't following his podcast, um, Kyle, what's the official name? I always forget. Is that free? It's a it's a free game. The free game podcast, amazing content. Those guys always give it up. You know, in terms of their opinions and and well referenced behind. Those guys are always open and honest about whatever it is they want to share and segments that they have. If you aren't following it, please do. Yeah, they're amazing. I know one of their most recent episodes was uh, they were talking about uh, Jay Cole's, uh, was it the off-season album that he dropped a couple weeks ago? Uh, That was a really good episode. So if you guys get a chance to see that, um, go check it out. It was a fantastic episode. Um, I believe all five of them really kind of dived into the album and gave their their, uh, reviews and their their pros and cons with the album. But go check them out. They, They dropped content pretty consistently so um there's no shortage of content from from those guys so definitely go check them out if you guys get the chance to that's not even just a plug this is like that's just what they do yeah literally every episode it's always something relevant to something going on in the world whether that's music whether that's sports whether that's life um they kind of hit almost every aspect of what it is that they need to hit and it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how they stay relevant to the topics at hand. You know what I'm saying? Like Kyle and I always do two to three episodes with some segments and some shorts in between. But when these, when these guys do their episodes, it's nothing short of informative and at the same time, very, uh, very opinionated and educated. So these guys are good at what they do for sure. And it's, it's something that we emulate when we do our episodes because they were doing it before us. And, and, and like I said, they're good at what they do. Yeah, for us, it's pretty easy. All we got to do is line up two schedules. They got to line up five. Because yeah, everybody, everybody's doing their own thing. So that's not necessarily the easiest thing to pull off, but they do it very well. Absolutely. But again, you know, with all that being said, guys, it's going to wrap it up for the two of us. We'll be dropping segments here and there for the uh, the rest of the week, uh, depending on how all these playoff matchups set forward and continue to go. Obviously, the Western Conference between the Suns and the, and the Nuggets ended a lot faster than what we thought. But, you know, everybody points, else is tied. Everybody after tonight. With the, yep. if, if the Clippers series holds, um, if I can get a score update there, that'd be great. Actually, I kind of closed my laptop prematurely like an idiot. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Let me let me check it out real quick. I, I They're still getting smacked. They're down 17. The Clippers okay, are 17. so more than likely when the Clippers win this game, every series that is excluding the Sun series will be tied at two apiece. So – we will have plenty of content to go out for the rest of the week at least. And we will make sure that we have everything out there available on all platforms, Spotify included, everybody. Do your thing, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the hell y'all be doing. Cause that's all I got for the week. Your boy signing off. I got to get up in about four or five hours to study for a test. So I'll talk to y'all later, man. We really appreciate it. And we, uh, we appreciate all the support we get week in and week out. Yes, sir. We'll check you guys later.
Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big home. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.